Pre and action. Um, I don't know if action is something that is normally associated with pre. Um, but uh, let, let me put it into the context in which I came to put in this title together. And that is that I recently confessed to my small group that I really don't enjoy communal prayer time. Um, it's, a, it's a funny thing, but I've often found that in communal prayer time, some people have these very long prayers, and they, they pray for 126 different matters. And by the time they finish, you can't even remember what they started with. You can't pray into it. You can't, it's, it's just, boom, the whole prayer time is used up. Or alternatively, there are people that like to pray into circumstances they want changed. You know, like, please forgive that lady for dressing so badly. And things that they, they don't want to tell you, so they think they'll tell God loud enough for you to hear, you know. And, and then an, another one is where, where people are praying and they want you to appreciate how holy they are and how righteous they are. And so their prayers are there to impress you. Um, and so generally speaking, I just don't like those sort of prayer meetings. I, the, the prayer that I prefer is just to chat to God. I, I, I like to talk to him. He, he is my friend. Jesus is my friend. And I, and I enjoy his company. I enjoy talking and bouncing things of him. What do you think of this? And, and, and I walk outside and the birds are singing. And I say, Lord, the whole of your creation is singing your praises today. Uh, to me, that's a, a more comfortable type of prayer. And so um, I don't like communal prayer. And isn't it a strange thing? that as soon as you confess something, God does something. And so I thought what I'd like to do is take our small group through some practical steps on how to study the Bible yourself, not go to a Bible study, but how to unpack it for your own spiritual growth. And so as I'm preparing this message to share with them, God nails me about prayer. I chose a book, I chose Ezra because I'm pretty sure that no one in my small group has read from that book for some time, if ever. And so I chose Ezra for that reason. But here I am studying and breaking down Ezra for the group. And at the same time, I'm thinking, well, what do I know about Ezra? And, and how does it fit into the Bible? And I start unpacking the facts that I know, and Ezra and Nehemiah just go together. So as part of having prepared this piece for the small group, I just spent more time and went through all of Ezra and Nehemiah. And that's when God decided to challenge me around prayer. And so that's this morning's message, is around how God challenged me. And... <clears throat> I think I just need to give you a bit of background. So the, <clears throat> after the reign of King Solomon, who was such a wise king, um, Israel and Judah separated. They decided to go their own ways, and they became two different nations. And after that, the kings that ruled these nations seldom, seldom obeyed God's 
law and made the nation stick to what God asked them to stick to, that covenant. And so they, they just weren't faithful. The people of Israel and Judah just weren't faithful. And as a result, God allowed the Assyrians to come and wipe out Israel and take what's left and include them into the Assyrian way of life. They were, the Jewish Israeli nation just were gone. And, and Judah lasted until about 605 BC when um, the Babylonians came and took Judah. But at least the Babylonians allowed the Jews to remain a Jewish entity in Babylonian captivity. But that was it. They were all out of their land that God had promised them. Um, <clears throat> and then it took about 70 years of them being uh, isolated when the Persian King Cyrus the Great said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to allow you to start going back. So Judah, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can go and start rebuilding and fixing it. And so the book, books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they actually cover three expeditions back to Jerusalem. And what, and, and the book was most probably written by Ezra, because he was a scribe. He's the guy that put the Psalms together in the order that they're in. And he most probably wrote Nehemiah to using Nehemiah's notes. And so, and in fact, many believe that the two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, were one book before. Um, but the book of Nehemiah is really the story of how the Jewish exiles, um, how they continued and, and how they got to Jerusalem, etc. Now, you need to understand that Nehemiah was the cupbearer. And a, a cupbearer is a very important person. He has to make sure that the king is never going to get poisoned. But he's in the king's presence all the time. Because if the king wants something to drink, he's just got to be ready to either pour, or to bring a cup or, or top up, whatever. I need one of those guys, I must say. But, <clears throat> yeah, the cupbearer... And, and I didn't know this until I was doing some research of my own. But did you know that the kings of the, this time, uh, and this was um, King the uh, I, and you were not allowed to be unhappy in the king's presence. It, 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 was, it was a law. If you were unhappy, you could end up in jail or dead. And so unhappiness wasn't there in case you affect his mood. And, and you can't do that to a king, as we all know. So you cannot, and McGowan should have known this, because he would never have got so upset that he had to resign if he knew how to exercise his kingship. You were not allowed to be unhappy. And so when you came into the king's presence, you had to be smiling, and it doesn't matter what's happening at home, you just have to be in a good mood. And yeah, Nehemiah was unhappy. But he was unhappy for a very important reason. He was unhappy because of what was happening in Jerusalem, or more to the point, what was not happening in Jerusalem. And so that unhappiness made the king say to him, why are you unhappy, instead of just killing him? Now, that in itself is miraculous. 
So let me take you to the story, but before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here this morning simply because of the grace you have shown us by sending your Son, Jesus, to the cross so that we can have this relationship with you this morning. And so we're asking, Lord, that if anything else is forgotten, that the thing that will be remembered is the sacrifice that your Son paid for us. So we want to glorify the name of Jesus, and we want you to be Lord of this time and of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's read the first 11 verses of uh, 1 Nehemiah. Um, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if you, your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today in granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. So there's a, a lot of things in there that we need to cover, and, and I just want to focus on a few. Notice that he uses scripture to remind God of his promises. He uses the word of God. This is what you said. You said, if we don't obey you, you're going to scatter us. Boom, we scattered. And then you said, if we do come back, if we give our hearts back to you, if we're willing to live according to your covenant, you will bring, draw us back. Well, we want to do that. And then he says, so, so give me favor with this king. So it is miraculous that his prayers are answered because 
he walked into the king and the king says, why are you sad? And then the king not only gave him permission to go back, but actually gave him word and stone and fair passage, etc., etc. But the important thing for me out of this was the action of Nehemiah. He had, he heard bad news. The circumstances would die. And, and, and rather than just being sad about it or, or peeved about it or blaming God about it, he got on his knees and he prayed. And he fasted and prayed. Fasting is an action. I don't know how many of you have tried fasting, but it is an action that really calls you back to pray. And it continues to, every time, let's say, for example, you fast coffee, and in the morning you reach out to your bedside table, oh, there's no coffee. And you think, why is there no coffee? Ah, because I'm fasting. And you start praying. You say, pray, Lord, please let this fast hurry up so I can have coffee. But <laughs> whatever it is, you're still going to be praying, right? And, and the action of Nehemiah was not only to push into God, to fast and pray, but to then make himself available to do God's will. An action. Prayer and action. They really do go together. Um, the, the, the Lord is a specialist. I mean, if you really think about it, he created everything we see out there. He created us. I sat looking at my granddaughter uh, on Friday when we were babysitting, and I, I noticed the crown of her hair, and I've never looked at someone's crown, especially not yours, Andrew. <coughs> but I've never looked at the crown of someone's head to see how perfectly the hairs just grow in a circle so that your whole head's covered properly. It's never struck me how amazing it is the way God just thought, well, I need hair to grow all the way around someone's head and not have these patches. Well, I'm starting to get patches, <laughs> but that's for a different reason. But, but the way God just designed this little child, so her hair is beautifully crafted to, to make a little crown to go around her head. And I, and I, and I thought, I was amazed at... at the intricacies of God's planning. And I realize that if, if we don't see God for who he is, why do we bother with prayer? <laughs> because if you really don't think God is a creator and God can intervene and God has your best interest at heart. But this God that we're talking about is a God of creation. He made all of this. He planned it. He even planned a plan for Israel who he knew were going to disappoint him. He then even planned to have someone like Ezra and someone like Nehemiah available to fix what had been messed up 70, 90 years before. You see, God is perfection. He, he is a specialist in, in doing what's best for us when we align ourselves with what he wants us to be and us to do. He, I, I think God delights in accomplishing what we can't. I, I, I think he absolutely loves that when we come to him in prayer and he answers that prayer and we think, wow. And, and, and he does these miraculous things like save someone's life from going 
to jail or to death because he's unhappy in the king's presence. It's a miracle. God does miraculous things. But, and, and, and this is a really critical point, is he waits for you to cry out. You know, strictly speaking, if you take some scriptures, it says that God knows every hair on our head, and inasmuch as he'll feed the birds in the sky, how much more will he look after us? Well, yeah, that's true. But he still longs for us to cry out to him. And sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm sort of stuck in this quandary of how can you know my every need and you're not answering it? How, how, how do you know what my circumstances are and you don't intervene? And you know, I, as I was studying this and as I was going through this, I realized that the main reason I have that attitude is because I want God to answer prayer on my timetable, not his. You see, when I go to God in prayer, I'm actually expecting something today. Now, I go every single day, I walk to my post box, and I say, Lord, is today the day that I'm going to have that special gift in my post box? And I open the post box, there's nothing. I say, no, not today. Okay, thanks, Lord. Uh, and you laugh, but I was... I, I, Andrew and Chi were visiting and I went, walked them out and I, I was walking to the post box and they said, oh, you're going to go and check your post box. I said, yeah, yeah I've got to go and check. And boop, there was an envelope with a gift in it. So you need to understand that God knows your needs, and, and, but there's an action. So Lord, I've prayed for you to meet my needs, but there's an action. Go and check the post box. It's like that pastor he was in a flood and he climbed up onto the roof of the church. And this log came past and he watched it go and he kept on praying to God to save him. And then a guy came in a little rowing boat and said, come hop on, I'll save you. And he said, no, no, I've been praying to God, he's going to save me. And then a guy came in a helicopter and said, you want to come up? And he says, no, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. And then he died, he drowned. He ends up at heaven and he says, God, why did you let me down? He says, I sent a log, I sent a rowing boat, and I sent a helicopter. What do you want? You, you, you see, <clears throat> we need to recognize what God's doing and what action he wants from us. And if you don't know how to hear the voice of God, how are you going to know? So you have to spend time in the Word. Over the years, I've noticed that the more passionate the prayer is generally prompted by the person's passion for change. I think Nehemiah's prayer was very passionate because he really believed that things had to change. And, and I can tell you, I've been in places where I've really wanted God to intervene, and so my prayers were passionate, but there were times where my prayers were just prayers. Nehemiah's prayers were birthed out of the sorrow for his people and for the circumstances of Israel, or Judah to be more precise. And so his prayers were birthed from that. And, and I, I gave that some thought, and I realized, do, do I have a cause or something that I could ever be that passionate about? It seems that everything that I'm passionate about involves me. <laughs> 
I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. But I, I, I seem to be more, mostly focused on me and my family and, and at times our small group and at times this church. And, and, and I'm thinking, why is it that so much of my prayer is around me? Yeah, this man started fasting, praying for days, Scripture tells us, for days. And he did that just because he was so compassionate and so moved by what was happening to Israel, who deserved what had happened to them, because they didn't obey God. And he said, if you don't obey me, this is what's going to happen, and boof, it happened. So you sort of think, well, why are you praying for them? They deserve it. But he was. And... And so as he intercedes for them, we, we notice that there are two roads that he could have taken. And, and, uh, and I think those are often where we are faced when we're faced with a challenge. We can become bitter and just say, oh, this is, this is just not fair. I, I don't deserve this. And why do bad things happen to good people? And, 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 and why am I going through this? Lord, what have I done? Have I not been a faithful servant? I, I'm not enjoying this. I'm, I'm not enjoying the circumstances you've put me in. Or alternatively, we can, we can choose to just believe that God has our best interest at heart. And that by going through this process, we're going to understand even better how much he loves and cares for us. But sometimes when you're in that situation, it's difficult to think, that actually God's got my best interest in it. Especially when he's not answering your prayer on the timeline that you've given him. Yeah? Martin Luther had a co-worker who was helping him with the Reformation. And this co-worker got sick. And uh, this is the prayer. It's in his book. So uh, it was very old... English is translated a long time ago, but this is what he said. He says, I beseech the Almighty with great vigor, he wrote. I attacked him with his own weapons, quoting from Scripture all the promises I could remember, that prayers should be granted, and said that he must grant my prayer if I should henceforth put faith in his promises. Cheeky. But yet, he knew scriptures he could quote scriptures he could say god these are the promises i'm standing on they from your word he knew that and so he could stand on god's promises and say hey i'm not gonna if you want me to keep believing that your promises are true then you've got to answer this prayer in fact uh, <clears throat> in the same book he writes about a guy that was working with him who had written to him and said i'm sick i think i'm dying and he wrote back and he said, I've prayed to God that you will not die, that you'll outlive me because there's a lot of work for you to do and you need to get on with it. <laughs> John Wesley goes on a mission trip to America and he's crossing the Atlantic and a huge storm comes up and blows the ship right off course. And there's such an upheaval. He's sitting in his cabin and he wonders what's happening. He goes up and the crew and guests are all frantically worried because the, the whole ship is being moved right off course. And they, they can't steer it straight. They can't do anything. And so 
He says, okay, and he goes back down to his cabin to pray. And um, Adam Clark, who recorded all the stories about old Wesley, uh, he overheard the prayer and he wrote it down for us. And this is what Wesley prayed. He said, Almighty and everlasting God, though this, thou hast sway everywhere, and all things serve the purpose of thy will. Thou, thou holdest the winds in thy fists, and sitteth upon the waters' floods, and reignest a king forever. Command these winds and these waves that they obey thee, and take us speedily and safely to the haven whether we would go. And he got up from his knees and picked up his book and continued reading. And his friend thought, well, that's strange. And he, anyway, he goes up, everything's calm, there's no wind, the ship is back on course, everything's exactly how he wanted it. And Dr. Clark must have realized then that Wesley was so secure that God would answer his prayers, that he just got back to reading the book. He didn't even go and look to see. He didn't go and check up on God. He knew. And so there can't, there's something in having an intimate relationship with God to the point that you know. That you know that God heard your prayer and he didn't maybe answer it immediately, but he has an answer. And he will do what's best for you. How, how bold are your prayers? Do you step out and really stretch your faith in your prayers? Or are your prayers just that little shopping list? I've, I've had to ask myself this question. You see, I think our, our age has taught us that we need to be humble before God. That we, that we need to be soft and gentle and calm. And, and I don't think we encourage to storm the very gates of heaven to really knock down the door that we think God is behind for answers. Have you stormed heaven with your prayers? Have you wrestled with God? Would it be reverent for you to wrestle with God about answering your prayers? And if he did answer, if it wasn't a physical answer, would you hear and recognize his voice? You see, I'll tell you a little story. Um, my wife and I were in the same high school together. And in Form 2, Year 9, we ended up in the same class. And the reason we were in the same class is we started off Form 1, uh, all the bright boys were in A, all the bright girls in B, and then when you got to C, it got mixed all the way down to the other classes. But after one year in A, they decided that I had far too many interests beyond education. And so I filtered down into B, uh, a C. And I don't know why Marcel ended up there, because she's the brightest woman I know. And you all can attest to that, because look who she married. <laughs> and so we ended up in C together. 
and we started dating. But the thing about dating is you need to spend time together to get to know each other. And the problem with that is she lived eight miles away and no public transport. And I couldn't get home, go to visit her and back in one day. 16 miles is just too much in one day. I can do it on a weekend, but not on a, in a weekday. And so I had to rely on a telephone, which is really similar to prayer. But my mother didn't like me spending a lot of hours on the phone. And uh, I don't know if you remember those old black phones that had a, a piece like this that you could put to your ear, you know, boom, and that had, you know, and if you pulled it around, and you pulled it around as you dial. And my mother found a little lock that she could put through one of those rings, and then you, you couldn't dial. <laughs> so that while they had work and I came home from school, I couldn't dial. But this is the genius. I found that if I tapped, I could actually tap out the numbers of her phone. And maybe I hit a few on my way there. But eventually, I would get through to her. And then we would chat. And we would chat for some time because we had so much to catch up on. I needed to know what she liked, what she didn't like, and she needed to hear from me. And so we just chatted and chatted and chatted. And then I quickly hung up before my mother got home. What have you been doing? Homework, homework, yeah. And, and, and she could never work out how come we never phoned in the evenings when she was there to unlock. <laughs> because we'd already spent three hours on the phone. But... <clears throat> Uh, thank goodness that, unlike today, they didn't list the number you called and how long you spoke, because then I'd be doomed. But what that says to me is, we still married, like almost 47 years later, we still married, and then if you take the dating years, which is another three plus army and uni and stuff, so we've been together for a long time, because we really got to know each other. We've really got to know each other. And when you really know someone, you can go through life's challenges and circumstances because you know them. You trust them. And it doesn't matter what circumstances tell you. You trust them because of your knowledge of who they are and who they've been to you. And that's where we need to get with God. We need to know who he is all the time so that we can trust that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. This is the God I know. He has my back. He has heard my prayers and he will answer them. And, and our relationship with God is exactly that. It needs to be a relationship. So if we go back to the reading in verse 4, says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Ha have, you, have you ever sat in a prayer time and found that as you pray, God actually changes your attitude? Because I have to say, it's happened to me. Because I've, I've been praying for some time for circumstances to change. And... 
And just to put it into context, in February last year, Marcel and I sat together and we looked at our budgets and economies and so on, that coming out of COVID, things hadn't really got better yet and business hadn't picked up and we did our budget and we said, we think we can make it until May last year. Well, we made it through until June this year. And God only answered the prayers last week. So that's a long wait. And I can tell you there were times while I was saying, Lord, come on. Can, can we move on? I, I, I think I've learned everything that you could possibly want me to learn over this elongated, uncomfortable, unhappy time of non-answered prayer. I, w I was frustrated with God. I, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I just don't understand what the lesson is. And the more I'm experiencing it, the less I'm enjoying it. But God thought I should do a few more months and a few more months. But if I look back now, in our wisdom, we couldn't make it past May at a stretch June last year. And it's June a year later, and we're still here, and we're fine. Never gone without anything, anytime. But God knows our weakness, and he knows that sometimes the action we want is for him to intervene. And, and, and there's some people that when they pray, they say, Lord, I really want a job, and then they sit and wait for it. But you need to apply. You, you, you need to say, Lord, is there, is, is there a business I should be doing? Is there someone I should be talking to? And so after you've chased every one of those ideas and, and things, it's all action, because with your prayer must be action. And I've had, I've had times of fasting and still no answered prayer, and I'm thinking, did I fast the wrong stuff? It, 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 sometimes it's, it's just unfair. It, it, it really is. And, and I'm absolutely certain that God has a, a, an answer, a solution, that he is going to answer my prayer. But the more I wait, the more I think, come on, Lord, can you just get on with it? And so because God knows that we're going to struggle, on the day of Pentecost, he did something amazing. He sent the Holy Spirit down to anoint us, and not only that, to bring us the comforter. And you know what this comforter did to those people in the upper room? He gave them a special language. That when you run out of things to pray, you can pray in that spiritual language. And you've got no idea of what you're praying. But there is action involved, you see, because the action is faith. I have to believe that this word, this sound that's coming out of my mouth, is a gift from God. And it is me speaking a language that God has given and put in my heart back to God. And therefore, I'm praying the words God wants me to pray. Therefore, I'm praying what God wants to hear. And so 
That anointing of the Holy Spirit is so critical in your lives. If you don't have it yet, make a point of getting Go to your small group and say, that's what I want this week. I want you to pray for me. I want to be anointed. I want that Holy Spirit and Holy Prayer language. So that when I run out of things to pray, I can rely on the language that God puts in my heart to pray what God wants to hear. So that hopefully, you'll hurry up and answer. For me, prayer and action, now that I've unpacked this and, and got to understand it better, is synonymous. They, they go together. It's like curry and rice. Prayer, action. You, you have to do the two together. You, you know what I mean? And, and so, <clears throat> I'm hoping that if your prayer life is not dynamic and passionate and exciting and something that you want to set time aside of your day just to spend time with God and not need to have a, the skill to tap a phone so you can dial the number in. You can just speak to God. But if you don't set time aside to really speak to God, to share the things in your heart so that He gets to know you better and so that you get to know Him better, so that you're able to trust Him with everything that happens in your life, you're going to struggle. It is so important, so important, that you get to know your Lord Jesus like you've got to know your wife, your husband, and even more. Amen? Right, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, would you give us ears that are tuned into your voice? Would you give us wisdom that we can push out the noise of the world and be able to hear that soft whisper that comes from your throne room that gives life, that answers prayers? Lord, would you give us the blessing of getting to know you more and understand your voice much better? And Lord, give us the courage to respond and do and act what your voice directs us to do. That we would become a church full of action. That with the prayer, there would be action. And that we will align ourselves completely and totally with your will. I ask in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen.